I'm so glad you're here this morning. And aren't you glad Jesus is here this morning as well? God, the Holy Spirit is with us wherever we go. We can't outrun him. We can't out him. We can't do anything. He's right with us wherever we're at. And uh, we're, we're picking up where we left off last week. We were talking about being personal. And um, I don't know if you've ever uh, been around somebody, and maybe they didn't say the exact words, but you got the sense that um, they really didn't care about your problem. Or they even said, that sounds like a personal problem to me, which means I don't care, right? So next time somebody says, it sounds like a personal problem to me, just say, thank you for not caring. Okay, that, that's the appropriate response. Or maybe you've heard somebody say, um, you know, it's not business or it's not personal, it's business, right? And... And usually what that means is that something happened that should be personal, but we want to hide behind business, right? It's, it's not personal, it's business. Well, I shared last week, and I hope that you heard it, and if not, you'll hear it right now, is this. I don't think that's how we do church. I don't think that's how we be a faith family. Uh, church is not a business. There is a business component of church. There's, there's money and there's things that have to be structured, but by and large, it's personal. It's about people. It's about you. It's about me, how we interact, how we love God, how we use our gifts, how we deal with each other. And, and guess what? People are complicated. Hurt people are complicated. Uh, people that have had a long-term mess in their life, they're complicated. And yet that doesn't mean that we get to stand back and say, well, it's not it's not personal, it's business, and we can't treat it that way. We can't treat people through a, a policy procedure manual. We need to be people that follow like Jesus, that walk towards those people, right? When nobody wanted to touch the lepers, Jesus did. When nobody wanted to eat with the sinners, Jesus did. When nobody wanted to hang out with the prostitutes, Jesus did. And yet he maintained his status of being about people and being about God's business, and he never put himself in an awkward situation. He never went upstairs to a private room to talk with the prostitutes, right? He met in public places, and you read those things, and sometimes we just kind of read it like it's a history book, and you need to think about that, that often he was criticized for eating with drunks, and what the Bible would say is publicans. What that means is people that own taverns, okay? Now, am I advising you to go down and eat your lunch and hang out a lot in taverns? No, but guess what? There are people there, people that need friends, people that need Jesus, people that need to be treated like human beings, and we have to understand that just because we're spiritual people, church people, that we got to back up from those people, Jesus says, no, nope, we need to be moving towards those people to take the light of the gospel and, the, and hope into people's lives, because who else is going to do it? The world just ignores them, or the world even encourages that darkness. And we've got to be people that decide we're going to be people that invade that light. And, and the reality is, my, my key point this morning is this, everybody needs somebody to know them on a personal level. 
Now, last week we talked about everybody needs somebody to see them like Jesus, and we talked about uh, Zacchaeus, that Jesus saw him different than everybody else. Everybody else just saw, saw this short, corrupt uh, IRS agent, that's what he'd be for us today, that nobody wanted to have anything to do with. He was the lowest of the low, and yet Jesus saw him, actually saw him, didn't just see him in the crowd, but he looked up, saw him, and invited himself to his house, and they had a meal together, something that probably nobody in that community had ever done. And in fact, we find out that the people in the crowd said, oh my gosh, he's going over to Zacchaeus' house. But what's funny is you read later in other stories that said Jesus would go to a tax collector's house and many of their friends were there. Guess what? Many of our friends need Jesus too, right? I've got friends that need Jesus. I've got family that need Jesus. And they're not going to come here on a Sunday. You know how that happens? We be people that step into lives. We be people that relate with people personally. And the reality is that in our culture right now, we need this more than ever. People are backing out of personal connections and personal relationships, thinking they can fulfill that with a digital connection, and you can't. A digital connection never replaces a human interaction. It can't. It won't. God didn't make us that way. And I'm thankful for digital technology, but it was never supposed to replace human touch. It was never supposed to replace and can't replace human compassion. You can't have compassion for somebody on Facebook. You might say, oh, I feel bad, and send them a little uh, frowny face. But you know what really moves is when you show up at their door, heard you were going through it, man. Is there anything I can do? And sometimes there's nothing you can do, but you know what you do? You stand in the gap, so to speak. And that sounds like a very spiritual or churchy phrase, but that's the reality is there's a gap between that person and getting forward, and we can be people that step into that gap, and sometimes we can't do anything but fill the gap and just let them know that they're not alone. Uh, we can't do everything for everybody. It's not healthy for them. It's not healthy for us. But we can be people that step into the gap. But I see in a world today that a lot of people are stepping back because you know why? People are messy. Situations are complicated. Gee, I don't, I don't know what I'd say to somebody that has AIDS. You know what you say? Hi, my name is. <laughs> They're still a human being. I don't know what I would say to a homosexual couple. You know what you say? Hi, my name is. That's pretty easy. You know your name, right? That's an easy starter, right? Thank God we don't have to start with, well, you know, the Bible says, because that gets really complicated really fast. (laughs) But you know your name. And if you don't, you need to come see me and we can talk and we'll get you a little name tag, right? Or belt buckle. Anybody grow up in a town where guys had their name on their belt? They thought it was a form of ID. Need to see some identification? Right there, Mike. It's on my belt buckle. <laughs> Everybody, get this, okay? I know this sounds like some cliche buzzword, but listen. Everybody, even the people that are highly resistant to interacting with other people. Everybody needs somebody to know them personally because everybody's going to face things that they don't know how to face. Everybody's going to step into areas where it feels like the world has let them fall flat. Everybody's going to go through difficulties and sadness and trauma, and everybody 
everybody needs somebody that knows them personally. This Lone Ranger, even the Lone Ranger, had Tonto. And the horse, right? We are not designed to go it alone. God says this, two are better than one. And even though we're not going to go there this morning, somehow we get that, but the ability for us to think, but it's time-consuming, it's messy, and I'm just not a people person. And I would say, get over yourself. You were made to be a people person, and yet probably somebody's hurt you. And I've been around church long enough to realize that church people are hurt people, and sometimes church people hurt people. But we're just people. And one of the great things that God has given us, an incredible gift that should help us be humble and full of grace, is called forgiveness. Right? But some of us are harboring stuff of what somebody did to us a long time ago. Maybe our folks or another person or a pastor or a church or something. And, 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 and I, I find it amazing. And if it's you, just I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about some other church today. But it's so often I hear somebody say, well, the church really hurt me. Really? Everybody in that church hurt you? The building hurt you? No, it was probably one, two, three, a small group of people might have hurt you. One person hurt you. But you overgeneralize, and that's like saying everybody sucks. Well, everybody? And until you can come down and deal with what really happened and why you're really hurting, it's going to be very difficult to forgive, and it's going to be difficult to move past that gap because you're going to keep encountering that gap. And until you know what that gap is, that person, Billy Bob, he said to me, and either own up to your side or forgive Billy Bob and move on. Because holding him hostage and walking through all that misery, it's never going to make you a complete person. It's going to make you back out of relationship, and you'll carry it to the next relationship, and the next relationship, and the next relationship. Because it gets a little fuzzy. When we look in the mirror, it's pretty tough to see that stuff. Uh, one of the churches that we pastored, we had a, 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 an unusual uh, man in there. He was about our age. Uh, he had multiple marriages and was still having some conflict. And during a time of conflict, he got frustrated and he said to us, I know how to be a father. I've been married three times. And I'm thinking, I don't think you know what that means. <laughs> If we use that same logic, then the Green River Killer really loved people. Everybody needs somebody that knows them personally. Now, I'm not talking about the nosy neighbor type of person that's got to get up in your business. I'm not talking about that. We don't need those people, right? But we need somebody that knows how we are, who we are, and has the relationship built that we can step up without it being awkward. See, that's the hard part sometimes, is we try to step into situations where we don't have the relationship built, and it feels very plastic and churchy or sounds judgmental. And what we really need is relationships where we actually know each other well enough that I can come up to you, and it's not a stretch for me to say, man, you, you've really been on my heart, and I, I haven't seen you around. Is, is everything Okay. Can I pray for you? 
Because I've had it in my own life with people that, even though I had a relationship, I, I knew something had happened, and I got busy, and I forgot, and I put it off. And then pretty soon, it's easier to just keep putting it off. But to be real authentic, I had that happen once, and the person died. And I knew I should have want, went to see them. Now it's too late. And I have no one to blame. It wasn't the schedule. It was me. And I don't want that for you. We need to be people that truly understand that we need each other. We don't need to ask invasive questions, but we need to know each other enough that we can pray for each other and share with each other and confess to each other and, and be the kind of people that really do care, not just give the lip service. Because when it's just a lip service, what we're really saying is, it sounds like a personal problem to me. Well, I don't want to get involved in that. And, and that's not where he wants us to be. Last week we talked about there's two views of people, and we're going to keep coming back to this because I still believe we've got to change our minds on this. Uh, two views of people. View number one, people can't or don't change. Now, I'm telling you, that is not life-giving, and it also requires no action from us, because if nobody changes, why pray? If nobody changes, then they deserve what they get. If nobody changes, I don't need to go see them. If nobody changes, there needs to be no intercession, there needs to be no correction, because they're just on a collision course, and that's probably just the way that God wants it. And that's a really sad view of people. For me personally, number two, it's my life. Anybody can radically change. Anybody. If I can be changed by the power of Jesus Christ, anybody can be radically changed. That's something that brings life. That's something that opens windows to transformation, that if you truly believe that people can be changed, but probably not by you, but you just wait for the opportunity, right? You wait for the window to be open, and you step in, and maybe God uses you, maybe He doesn't, but we have to be people that believe and give hope to people. We should be people that give life, right? Not condemnation, not judgment, and many of us have sad stories, and I'm not, I'm not mitigating that or saying that somehow you just got to pull up your boots. What I am saying is there is hope and help through Jesus Christ. And he doesn't want you stuck there. He doesn't want you reliving the mess over and over and over. At some point, you need to surrender that to him. And that comes through talking to a person, right? And I know that sounds bad. I truly believe we can pour out our hearts to God. But sometimes we need somebody that's Jesus with skin on. That sits with us. And maybe they don't even know what to say, but they just hold us and cry with us. And they're not sympathetic. Oh, yeah, man, the world's a tough place. How about just the power of, I'm here for you? That speaks volumes, right? I don't know what you need, and I can't just fix it, right? If it's mole in the yard, we can fix it. And that problem's probably not hung up in that, right? But many times we, we feel like we're powerless. But you know what we can do? I'm here for you. I'm just a call away. All you have to do is ask. And whatever I can do, I'm there. I'm going to bat for you. I'm believing for you. I'm going to keep praying for you. That's life-giving. That, that builds hope that we're not alone in this and it's just going to keep getting worse. 
But really, what do you want others to believe of you? Do you want somebody to believe that you can't change? That you're stuck? That you are always going to be the mess of a person that you are? Because believe me, we're all a mess in one form or another. We may hide it well. We may doctor it up. But we're all, we all got mess in our lives. What do you want people to believe in you? That we can be changed, that we can be transformed, that the Holy Spirit can work in our life and He begins to remove stuff and He begins to heal deep places in us, that He begins to help us and that He does that not just for us but for other people that need that ammunition as well that you can say, I remember being there. You're not alone in this. We can get out of this. Right? We're going to read... Uh, a portion of scripture this morning from John chapter 4, verses 5 through 29, remembering that everybody needs someone to know them personally. And this is a, an interesting passage, but maybe when we read it, you'll think, man, that's hard. But you're going to get it by the end. So hopefully you got it on your phone. You've got uh, a, maybe a physical book, the Bible with you, but please read along as we go should be on the screen, but I just want you to have it with you. Eventually, he, and he is Jesus. He came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired from the long walk, and he sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to, the, said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Now, I want to stop right there. Some things we need to understand about the culture and about the time is that if you don't know what a Samaritan is, it's a half-breed of a Jew that had intermarried with another race of people, and the, those that were, quote, true Jews looked down on them as worse than or less than human. I also don't believe in coincidences. I believe Jesus went there at a specific time for a specific purpose at a specific place because he knew that a Samaritan woman was going to be there. And the fact that she's coming out at noon during the hottest part of the day, women don't do that there. It's hot. They gather water in the morning and in the evening. So the fact that she's coming out to draw water when nobody else is there says something about her. And you know some of these people that they're misplaced and you watch the actions of their life and you realize that's why they do that. That's why this is happening. They're not just being quirky, creative. Something has happened. Here's the story. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She says to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Let's stop right there again. It was very, un very uncustomary, almost a breach of all protocol, A, for a Jew to talk to a Samaritan, let alone a male Jew, a rabbi, a single male Jew, to speak to a woman by herself without her husband present. This is scandalous. Now we think, what's the big deal? I mean, our times are so different. But this just didn't happen. Men, especially Jews, don't just walk up to a woman they don't know, especially a Samaritan woman, without his wife present and her husband present, and start a conversation. 
It's scandalous. And yet, here's Jesus. And she understands this. She's like, whoa, 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 what's what's going on here? You're a Jew, and you're by yourself, and, and you're talking to me. It catches her off guard. Why are you asking me for a drink? Here's what Jesus says, verse 10. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Now, he speaks kind of in this riddle, and Jesus often did this not to try to confuse, but to see if there was any interest at all, because if she just said, you are crazy, and walked off, end of conversation. But notice that he shares something with her that probably really intrigued her, that God had something for her, a Samaritan woman. See, the Jews didn't believe that God had anything for the Samaritans except for judgment. And here he is saying, if you actually understood the situation, I wouldn't be asking you. You would be asking me. And I just feel really strongly right now in this moment that some of you have some unasked things of God. Things you're almost afraid to pray about. Things you're embarrassed. Things that you haven't told anybody. In fact, you're not even sharing them with God. You're just keeping them. And that's not healthy. And it's never going to make you whole. I want to pray for you right now, if that's okay. Father, if there's anybody here that they know exactly what this feels like, they've got a long, deep hurt, Father, I pray that you give them the courage, the strength, the boldness, maybe right here, right now. They don't have to wait for an altar call. They don't have to have a stirring of their spirit. They don't have to feel anything different. They can just hear the words of Jesus that says, if you knew what I was offering, you would ask me. Father, I pray you give them the boldness to to ask you to move them from that stuck spot, to relieve that guilt, to relieve that shame, to relieve that pain to push them past the memories and the cycle and the loop of activities and behaviors that keeps them stuck there. Father, maybe you need to send somebody across their path, but maybe it's me this morning that just this prayer lets them know that you're real, that you've read their heart, and as long as they hold back, you're never going to force your way in. So, Lord, give them strength this morning to free that thing that you would do a great work in them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And if that's you, you don't have to feel goosebumps. You don't have to see a heavenly vision. You don't have to hear the voice of God. You receive it by faith and just say, I want that so bad. Okay? You don't have to be religious. Jesus didn't expect religion. 
you should suspect reality. But if you want it that bad, then you keep offering it up to him because sometimes we offer it up in a moment and then we take it back. We need to keep offering it up. Some of you are continually being hurt by family members. Keep praying. Keep believing. Take a little step out of trust. Yes, it hurts because when we place ourselves in a moment of trust, it means somebody can leverage it against you. It means somebody has a, an ability to hurt you and your feelings, and, and yet that's what we're called to do. That's what it means to be personal, right? If we keep it business, then we keep the, the wall up, and we can't be hurt because we've got our, our shield on. But when it's personal, it hurts. When it's personal, we feel something. When it's personal, people can get in, and yet that's truly the key for us being whole at the same time. So he goes on. He says, I would give you living water. She doesn't get it. Just like many times we don't get what's going on. She says, sir, you don't even have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where are you going to get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? He gave us this well. How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Think, you see this? She's, she's going back to the past. This is Jacob's well. You Jews understand that. And, and he's our ancestor too. Where are you going to get this really great water? Jesus it's amazing. He doesn't stop to explain. He just pushes on because he's getting someplace. Anyone. I love that. You're in anyone this morning. Did you know that? You're in anyone this morning. Anyone who drinks this water, and he's pointing at the well, will soon become thirsty again. It's just physical water. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. We're sitting at this well, and you think I'm talking about the well, but I'm talking about the well in you, that I want it to bubble up. I want it to be fresh, and I want it to be overflowing, and I want it to be something that makes you feel like you don't have to chase the world to live, that something you don't have to have it satisfied with physical things to live, that all of a sudden you can have this eternal thing. And look at what this woman says. Dude, I don't know what you're on, but you need to go away and leave me alone. She didn't say that. Because he knew her personally. He spoke right into an area of her life that she thought, how could he possibly know? And, and there's such hope in her. Do you hear it? Please, sir, please give me this water. I want, I want that. I want what you're offering. See, church, that's why we come here together. That's why we must have the Holy Spirit in our life. That's why we must be followers of Jesus, is that if we have this eternal thing in us, that you can't give somebody what you don't have. If you don't have the bubbly up spirit inside of you, if you don't have eternal life, you can't give it away. 
And if you've got it, you can give it away for your whole life and it'll never run dry. But he knew that she was thirsty. Please, sir, give me this water and then I'll never be thirsty again. Listen, and I won't have to come out here in shame to get water. There's a reason she's not coming out in the morning and the evening with the other women. And we're going to see why here in a minute. But look at, she's still thinking relationally, if I could have that type of water, I wouldn't be exposed to this loneliness. I wouldn't be exposed to the criticism. I wouldn't be exposed to all those looks and all those glances and all the murmurings and all the ladies going, mm-hmm. And he gets really personal. And you might think, man, Jesus is a jerk. But he's trying to reach into a place of a deficit and fill it. And she gets it, which is amazing. Look it. Changes gears like Jesus does all the time. Why don't you go and get your husband? Hit right on the soft spot. And she, I see the wall come up. This is what I call a relational punt. She answers in a very vague but honest way. I don't have a husband. But Jesus did not let her stay behind her wall. You're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Ouch. I mean, this is reality TV, folks. <laughs> now do you know why she's going to get water at noon? Let's ramp up the pressure just a little bit in case you don't understand this. Most people in those times rarely ventured from their own hometown. The five men that she had had been in relationship probably still live there. The women that grew up with her and saw her go through this parade of husbands probably still live there. In fact, some of those women may be married to a new husband. Now, want to talk about uncomfortable? In a small town where there's one central water station and all the women go out to get their water for their families, well, it's a little uncomfortable for her. It was uncomfortable after the first one. And it got hard after the second one. And by the fifth one, I'm sure it's unbearable. Which is why she goes at noon. You're not even married to the man you're living with now. I believe it's not because she is just this woman that doesn't want to get married, but she's been in five failed relationships. <laughs> He said, you certainly spoke the truth. 
Notice her response. You don't know me. <laughs> See, I think the way that he said that wasn't this righteous judgment where he stood up and looked down and pointed at her. I think she heard compassion. I think she saw in his face, I understand your pain. And the response is pretty amazing. Sir, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Look at this. Do you think she's welcome in the temple? She's cut off from the other women. She's cut off in the relationship. She's cut off from her worship. And yet here's this man that shows up and offers her an incredible gift of living water. And she's like, I don't know how this is adding up. But you tell me, if you can do this, how am I supposed to go to worship? How do I get my relationship back with God? How do I stop these people from hating me? Jesus said, believe me, dear woman. The time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on the mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while the Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. It's him. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. You want to have a right relationship? You just worship. It doesn't matter where you worship. You worship. You worship in your brokenness. You worship in your pain. You worship in your... You just worship because he's God and he's looking for those that will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Not in a town and not in a temple, but they must worship him in spirit and in truth. Look what she says. I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. I think she's excited. I can't wait for Messiah to get here. Jesus says, look at this. Who did he reveal who he was to? A broken woman, a Samaritan woman. I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to them. And now you know why they were shocked, right? But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? Look what the woman does. The woman left her water jar beside the well. The water became unimportant, right? And she ran back into the village telling everyone, wow. She's not hiding out from them anymore. All of a sudden, she runs back telling everyone. What is she telling them? Come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Notice he didn't do anything religious with her. He didn't condone the way she was living, and he didn't condemn. 
the way she was living. He just brought spiritual truth. If you want to be healed, you need the water that I offer. If you want to step out of the gap, then you've got to learn to worship God and stop worrying about when and where and how. Stop worrying about all the procedures and all the right and wrong ways and stop worrying about what people are thinking about. You just worship in spirit and in truth. And I believe she ran back excited, not caring that people are like, oh, I can only imagine what he told you about what you did. (laughs) And yet she was free. Church, in my mind, she's free. She can mingle with them now. And she doesn't care about the glances and the snickers and the sideways glances and all their little snide comments. You know what? That's on you. I'm going out with you to get water. If I make you uncomfortable, then you go out at noon. She got an incredible insight. You see, when we decide to make it personal, because Jesus makes it personal, right? He spoke to her issues. He spoke to the deep things in her heart and didn't make her feel guilty about it. He just said, you've spoken the truth. Thank you for speaking the truth. But I'm here to give you what you need, and you think you need another husband, but you don't need another husband. You need the life-giving water that I can offer. And that's the cure for every person that thinks that they have to fill it in with drugs or another relationship or this or that or this or that. It will always leave you empty. And he says that. If you try that physical stuff, it will always leave you thirsty again. But when you find him, you find a deep well of something that will fill you and make you complete. And the other stuff will soon fall by the wayside. When you decide to make it personal, then our faith becomes real and personal when it gets practiced. You see, that's the problem. We try to do it in here. And this is an artificial environment. Our faith gets real. It gets personal when we practice it. When we practice it like Jesus did, right? When the person deserves judgment and we give grace, that's when it gets real. When the person's unfixable and we don't know what to say, and we step into the gap, that's when it gets real. That's when it gets personal. It's too easy to make things unpersonal, and somebody ought to do something about that. That somebody is us. Realize that we get to be the answer to somebody's prayer. And I know that God is the one that does it, but guess what? We're the facilitator. We're the one that steps up and says, Can I pray for you? I have yet to meet the person that when they told me something about their life and I said, can I pray for you? They said, I don't want that. I've never met that person. I believe we've got to start living the kind of life that gives people hope. Right? Not hope that they can be a better person 2.0. That's nonsense. We're just people. But we give people hope that there's one in us and one above us that works things out. There's one 
in us and above us that makes us free on the inside regardless of what's happened around us, regardless of the people that have hurt us, that all of a sudden we can have joy, that we can find peace, that we can have right relationships like we've always been longing to but we're afraid to because it never works out right and now we're just pushed back away from relationships. I was watching a a show that's on uh, regular TV. And it's, I'll just say the name because it was my biggest loser. My heart broke for this young man on there. That he knew by the time he was in middle school that he was gay. But he was so afraid and so nervous and so anxious that he hid it and he started eating to hide that pain. And he, f- he felt so compelled to be like everybody else that he actually got married only to have that marriage dissolve. And I can't imagine the confusion and the brokenness the hurt, of feeling like he's living a lie. And am I condoning any sin? No. But it's complicated because it's people. And I think all of us want to relate in some way to somebody else that they get us, that they see us, that they can truly receive love for just who we are. But it gets messy. It gets clouded. And we can be people that start living the kind of life that gives people hope. Regardless of where they've been and what they've done and how they're behaving now, we leave that in God's hands. So let's wrap this up this morning. You see, the opposite of personal isn't business. The opposite of personal is shallow. Because God designed us to have really deep, great relationships. And if you want things easy, then just have shallow relationships. And our culture is learning to do this at their own detriment. You see, shallow is easy. I don't have to get involved. I just know your name. Hey, man. Personal is complicated. Shallows fast. You can breeze by and say, have a nice day. Hey, praying for you. Personal takes time. Shallow is certain. I know how far I'm going. I know what I'm giving. I know. Personal is unresolved. There are things we can't fix. (laughs) There are things that may last a lifetime. We don't know why, but God's in control of all of that. Shallow's dismissive. I don't have time for that. That's too messy. That's too complicated. Oh, gosh, there's so, so much drama. You can fill in whatever you want right there. But the reality is personal is interested. Doesn't mean you condone it. Doesn't mean you're saying, yay for you. But you can be interested in them as a person. You can help step in in the moment of their mess. And it all starts with that horrible phrase, hi, my name is 
I'll bet that there's people you already know, and you don't even have to do that introduction. You already know their name, and they already know your name. But the next step is just stepping in instead of stepping back. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know. Do you know what they did last weekend? Nope. But I know you could be somebody that gives them life and hope. <laughs> See, we've got to decide to not be shallow. We've got to decide we want deep relationships in our church. Right? It is complicated. It is messy. It can be hurtful because we're people. Some of the ways that these things are going to happen, I got to tell you, you got to you got to turn your courage monitor up. You know why? Because it's, especially as long-term Christians, you know what we want to do? We want to come down to the front and we want to pray and say, "God, fix this," but don't use me to do it. <laughs> you just fix them. God's like, it doesn't work that way. You want to know why I put you in their life? You want to know why you got the messed-up sister-in-law? You want to know why you got the the mother-in-law that acts like the devil? You want to know why? Because I put you in that spot to step into the gap. You want to know why you've got that person at your work that's all full of drama, and you're like, oh, she drives me crazy. You step into the gap. It's way too easy. It's shallow to say, Lord, would you just make her shut up? Lord, would you just make him be smarter? about we step in, right? Did you see what the disciples did? See, they still weren't getting it. They show up, and what'd they say? What are you doing talking to her? That's what they wanted to say. They didn't even have the nerve, right? And what is Jesus trying to teach his followers? It gets messy. It takes time. It takes talking. It takes relationship. be too easy to stop through and say, hey, I'm a local rabbi. God bless you. Yep, bless that whole town. (laughs) But he didn't. He stopped and talked to a woman on purpose. The last woman that anybody would have expected a holy son of God rabbi to talk to. And he went there, I believe, just for her. That's why it's there. How many women at the well do you know? 